Hey, you're listening to Clumsy Theosis, a Catholic podcast that explores topics within the Catholic faith to help us deepen our spiritual lives, own our relationship with the Lord, and strengthen His church. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Clumsy Theosis podcast. My name is Rochelle Lucero, and I am totally stoked that you have tuned in today. Today, we are embarking upon the fourth century of Christianity. Really quickly, though, I'd be remiss if I did not express my gratitude to Hannah for her donation to our community here at Clumsy Theosis. If your life has been improved by the work that I'm doing here, even in the smallest way, please prayerfully consider making a donation to Clumsy Theosis. And you can do this on my website, clumsytheosis.net. All you have to do is click the donate button up in the menu. I want to stress how much your support is appreciated, how helpful it is, and how necessary it is to keep this podcast going. All right, so the fourth century, here we go. This is a big century for the church, which is probably why it's called the golden age of doctrine. Now, since we know that doctrines typically emerge to refute heresies, you know, we learned this in our episode on doctrines and dogmas. Since that's the case, there must be some really big heresies going on in this century if this century is referred to as the golden age of doctrine. And the biggest of which was Arianism, which was founded by a man named Arius who attacked the divinity of Christ. This Christological heresy of Arianism arose in the early part of the 4th century and it spurred the Trinitarian heresy that thrived in the middle and latter part of the 4th century. And that heresy is known by three different names. The first is Semi-Arianism, which makes sense. The second is Macedonianism. And the third is a mouthful. I'm not going to spell it. Don't ask me. <laughs> I will try to pronounce it. It's Pneumatomachianism. No. Did I get that right? Pneumatomachianism. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> For our purposes, we're going to be calling this second heresy, the Trinitarian heresy, we're going to be calling it semi-Arianism because it's easier to say and I think it's important to help us remember where this heresy derived its beliefs from, which is Arianism. To make it clear, today we're covering today we're covering Arianism and semi-Arianism. Now, we profess the Nicene Creed during every divine liturgy and holy mass, and the reason that we do this is because of the Arian heresy. In fact, the Council of Nicaea is the first ecumenical council, and that just means that it was the first council that involved and invited all the bishops of the world. And this is a big deal because it was called to refute Arius's heresy. The Arian heresy was so big in history, a lot of times it's referred to as the Arian controversy because it was just drama, drama, drama. And for that reason, I want to just focus on these two heresies, Arianism and semi-Arianism and their surrounding events, and then we'll cover the other fourth century heresies in our next episode. And if you think that you know someone who would like to know why we profess what we profess in the Nicene Creed during every liturgy and mass, then this is that time for you to take that person that just popped in your head, text them or email them right now. Just push pause on this podcast episode really quickly and send them that message. Okay, so a tiny bit of backstory to situate us in history. Prior to the 4th century, Christianity was illegal in the Roman Empire, which was basically the whole world. It wasn't until 313 that the Emperor Constantine issued the Edict of Milan giving Christianity legal status. And this was huge. 
because that meant that the church was no longer being persecuted, at least from without in these big waves of organized violence. But only five years after the legalization of Christianity, the church was attacked from within by a priest named Arius from Alexandria who thought that he was wiser than his own bishop. Arius, yes, he was eloquent and he was rational in his apologetics, and that's probably why he had bishops, theologians, and even imperial officials buying into his teaching that the Son of God was not truly divine, nor was he co-eternal. And co-eternal means that the Son of God existed forever with the Father, and Arius denied that this was actually the case. Now, Arius went to the school of Antioch, and there's kind of a little rivalry between the school of Antioch and the school of Alexandria, and that's just because of their approach to theology. Now, in Antioch, they emphasized the literal interpretation of scripture, and this formed Arius to the core so much that his literalism totally got away with him, and they caused him to fall into heresy. See, it didn't make much sense to him that the divine word of God could proceed from, could come forth from the Father, and still be co-eternal. In his limited worldview, and I say worldview on purpose, there had to be a chain of command or an order of procession, and he even applied that to God. So Arius then concluded that Jesus was actually then a mere creature, as was the Holy Spirit, because they proceeded from the Father. And as creatures, they could only be semi-divine. This was such a mess within the church that to keep peace within the empire, the emperor Constantine called the first ecumenical council at Nicaea in 325 with the pope's consent. This council gave us our definitive creed, which is, you know, our statement of belief, what we believe as Catholics, what we believe as the Christian faith. At the council, there were two main topics discussed, Christ's co-eternalness and his divinity. Now, in the Nicene Creed, I want to specifically hone in on this section because this is how Arius was refuted. And so now every time when you profess this during the liturgy, during Mass, you will remember why and how important it is to our faith. Okay, so in the creed, when we say, I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, born of the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, consubstantial with the Father. This right here is how Arius was refuted because for Arius, it all came down to the word begotten. Begetting typically refers to a male parent generating or procreating offspring. And we all know how this works in humans, right? A father exists. And then in the order of operations, he begets a son who then exists, but he only exists because the father existed first and did the begetting. And as I said that, I realized how much that sounded like a Jack Sparrow Pirates of the Caribbean monologue. And okay, we're, we're going to move on. I need to focus here. Based on his understanding of the created world, and remember, of the created world, Arius reasoned that if the Son of God is begotten of God the Father, then the Father existed before the Son. Now, since the Father existed before the Son, according to Arius, the Son could not be like the Father, meaning that the Son could not possibly be co-eternal with him. This is certainly rational, but I'm not going to say that it's reasonable. And here's why. Here's why Arius is wrong and why we profess what we profess during the Nicene Creed. God's nature is timeless. He is outside of space and time. Arius's main error was that he imposed time on the eternal, timeless nature 
of God. When a father begets a son, no matter if that's God or man, when a father begets a son, he gives his nature to his son. For humans, the father exists before the son since humans live within time. So begetting for humans is embedded in time because humans exist in time. That's just the way that it is. But when God the Father, when he gives his nature to his only begotten son, and we know that he does this because in Hebrews 1, Paul says Jesus bears the very stamp of his father's nature. When God the Father gives his nature to his only begotten son, that includes the father's timelessness. So the son is also outside of time, just like the father is outside of time. This means concepts like, before and after are meaningless when we're talking about God. Therefore, the son is not after, he's not lesser, nor is he created like Arius rationally concluded. And one of my favorite saints, Saint Athanasius, he gave us this definitive Trinitarian expression that we use today when we profess the creed because he proposed the term consubstantial, meaning that God the Son is of the same substance as God the Father. Athanasius was only the secretary of his bishop when he proposed the term consubstantial at the Council of Nicaea, but it was only two years after that that he then became the bishop of Alexandria himself. But while he was a bishop, Athanasius had a rough time. See, even though Arius and his teachings were deemed heretical, and the correct teaching of the church was solidified and summed up by the creed, there were many Arians out there who clung to their beliefs. And this included a group that tried to play the middle ground. They were called the semi-Arians, which I mentioned at the top of this episode, the Trinitarian heretics. These semi-Arians, they propagated that heresy in the middle and latter part of the fourth century. And they did this because they were trying to play the middle ground, like I said, between the Trinitarians, who are us, obviously, because we believe in the Trinity, and the Arians. And remember that the Arians said that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were not the same substance. They were not one being. They were three separate persons made of separate or different substances. They were made of different stuff. Whereas us Trinitarians, we know that the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are three persons, yet one being, as in one substance. These non-committal fence walkers, the semi-Arians, they said that the Son is of a similar substance. But hello, similar still means different. I mean, I learned that on Sesame Street. I don't know about you, but that song, one of these things is not like the other, one of these things is not the same, similar does not mean the same. It means different. But moving on, an interesting fact about the semi-Aryan heresy is that it's responsible for the saying, an iota of difference. My mom used to say that to me if I was trying to make an excuse for something, she would say, that doesn't make one iota of a difference. Now, the reason that we get this phrase from this heresy is because the Greek word used by the Trinitarians to say that the Son of God was the same substance of the Father, that word is homoousios, whereas the semi-Aryans put forward the Greek word homoousios. Now, these words are spelt exactly the same, except the word used by the semi-Aryans has an additional Greek letter I, which is called iota. So you try to slip that iota in there, and it makes all the difference. So the semi-Aryans and the Aryans, these two factions, they caused St. Athanasius so much trouble. He was exiled five times and he was even on the run in hiding for six years among the desert fathers or the desert monks. 
And because he was a diehard OG who knew the faith, who stuck by the faith, who knew Christ intimately, he was able to have the strength to fight this fight. He's known among the Eastern Orthodox as the father of orthodoxy. And among us Catholics, he's known as one of the eight great fathers of the church. Now, remember that it was Athanasius who said, God became man that man may become like God. And this is the definition of theosis. Athanasius is a man who understood theosis. And that's because his faith was rooted in the knowledge that the Son of God was co-eternal with the Father and that he was divine. He understood theosis because he got the incarnation of Christ. He understood what a gift it was to man. And this was the wellspring that nourished him even through all of the persecution that he endured. Today, we Catholic Christians are persecuted from without as well as from within. So let's pray that we have that same deep, strong, rooted faith that provides all the sustenance that we need to become the saints that we're intended to be in our times. Pray that that our foundation is built on the core of our faith, the incarnation of the Son of God. And with St. Athanasius's intercession, we can pray his dying prayer. So this prayer is said to be the prayer that he prayed on his deathbed. He prayed, you are Jesus, the son of the father. Amen. You are he who commands the cherubim and the seraphim. Amen. You have existed with the father in truth. Amen. You rule the angels. Amen. You are the power of the heavens. Amen. You are the crown of the martyrs. Amen. You are the deep counsel of the saints. Amen. You are he in whom the deep counsel of the Father is hidden. Amen. You are the mouth of the prophets. Amen. You are the tongue of the angels. Amen. You are Jesus, my life. I'm going to be posting this prayer on Instagram within the week, so go ahead and follow me there if you don't already. And if you liked this episode, if it was interesting, if it taught you anything, if it gave you a desire to know more about the history of the faith and why we profess what we do, I'm super excited about that. But I would be even more excited if you would consider sharing this episode with a friend. Shoot them a text or an email, or it might just be easier for you to just share it with all of your friends online. If you do that, please tag me in your posts. I'm on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Clumsy Theosis. Um, If you don't already follow me on those platforms, I encourage you to do so. You can keep up with me, what I'm doing, what the Lord is doing with my interior life all of that jazz and please reach out to me on those platforms i'd love to hear from you okay i will be back in two weeks everybody until then let's keep each other in prayer because spiritual warfare is real friends peace out Thank you for tuning in to Clumsy Theosis. I'm so happy that you've been able to hang out. If you want to learn more about Clumsy Theosis, you are more than welcome to visit my website, clumsytheosis.net. From clumsytheosis.net, you will also be able to contact me if you're interested in booking me as a speaker or if you're just feeling generous and you'd like to make a donation. Remember that together we can transform the world by letting the Lord transform us.